Chapter 25 The Silent Whistleblower A Chapter on Conflicts of Interest in the Government Regarding Vaccines Bob couldn't believe he was having this conversation again for the umpteenth time, and he already knew how it was going to end. He'd gotten used to seeing the signs. First came the unbelief. His colleagues simply thought it was all a hoax. Then came the concern when they realized it might actually be true. Then came a different concern when they realized who exactly they would be going up against if they chose to believe it. After that came the fear that each tried, unsuccessfully, to conceal. Fear of losing support, fear of not getting re-elected, and fear of being labeled as anti-establishment. And finally came the resolve. Resolve to stick with the status quo, to not stir things up, to just let life go on as normal, to maintain the certainty that it must all be a hoax, stirred up by a crazy, disgruntled scientist who obviously should have retired years ago. Because that belief was way easier than entertaining the possibility that what Bob Stanley had to say might be the truth. What is wrong with people? He fumed silently. Why won't anybody in Congress stand up for what is right anymore? Well, he knew that wasn't quite true. Many of his colleagues were happy to stand up for what was right, but only when it wouldn't cost them their seat. And he knew as well as the next guy that you don't stand up to big pharma. That was almost as suicidal as standing up to big oil. So why did I do it? he asked himself, also for the umpteenth time. Congressman Bob Stanley had been approached by the lawyers representing Dr. Laura Johnson three years ago and had dropped the bombshell. Dr. Johnson claimed she had participated in research fraud and she was now coming forward to fess up and make things right. She'd been granted official whistleblower status by the president and had turned over all her research documents to the congressman. Bob Stanley and his team had read through the boxes of data and confirmed that Dr. Johnson was telling the truth, at least as she saw it. Dr. Johnson, along with four other scientists, had allegedly published a falsified study that proved vaccines do not increase the risk of autism. The fraud occurred when, according to Johnson, the team discovered that vaccines, and the MMR vaccine in particular, did seem to increase the risk of autism in African-American boys. So the team of five gathered together and burned some of their data, literally, burned it in a trash can. But Johnson, realizing what was about to happen, copied all of the data and kept it safe before joining the bonfire. And it was these documents that she turned over to Bob Stanley's office. The research team had then changed the parameters of the research study, eliminated some of the test subjects who'd come down with autism in the study, allegedly, and published a squeaky clean version that gave them the results they wanted. And ten years later, Johnson's conscience caught up with her, and she came forward. When the story broke, the public was outraged, of course, for about an hour. Then everybody moved on to the next news item and forgot all about it. 
except for the approximately 1 in 36 American families with autism, especially the black families, and except those fighting for more openness and honesty in vaccine safety research. In order for Dr. Laura Johnson to be able to legally come forward with her story and remain protected by whistleblower laws, she had to be subpoenaed by Congress and be called to testify in an official hearing. Bob had tried to stir up support in his House of Representatives during a five-minute summary presentation to the House, but his words had, so far, fallen on deaf ears. And since then, he'd set up meeting after meeting with fellow congressmen to try to get enough members to call for a hearing. He'd gotten some support from state governments, but no one on the federal level had the balls to join his crusade yet. Numerous public organizations had also called for a hearing, and a few doctors and lawyers had published books and research articles discussing the alleged research fraud and what the raw data really showed. And tens of thousands of activists had dutifully called their senators and congressmen asking them to support a Johnson subpoena. One state legislature, Rhode Island, just passed Resolution S-2670, that called for the U.S. House of Representatives to subpoena Johnson and launch a full investigation into the research on vaccines and autism. The state also called for better informed consent for patients and more thorough safety research testing. And Rhode Island wasn't the only state to do so. Hawaii's House Concurrent Resolution 157 disclosed a number of vaccine safety concerns and severe reactions and called for the federal government and CDC to do better safety research, improve medical education, and public awareness of vaccine side effects, and enforce better informed consent practices. The only problem with state resolutions is that they have no power. The federal government and the CDC can just thumb their noses at them. But at least it's a start, Bob mused. What amazes me about the Johnson scandal is that everybody probably does believe those researchers lied just to help keep vaccine safety ideals intact. But as long as Congress just looks the other way, this issue will eventually just go away. Oh, the CDC has taken quite a hit over this, and the spider coming out of the closet has added fuel to the fire. Just not enough fuel. SPIDER was the acronym for Scientists Preserving Integrity, Diligence, and Ethics in Research. This was a group of over a dozen senior scientists at the CDC who lodged a formal written complaint in 2016 that the CDC is compromised by corporate and government interests and has lost its mission to objectively safeguard the health of our country. SPIDER had been smart. They had steered clear of the V-word, Their complaint focused more on fraud, corruption, and conflicts of interest in drug safety testing and approval, which is a politically safe position, even when it goes against pharma. Because it's okay to speak out against one medication that is killing people, pharmaceutical companies can take those small hits. Seriously, if a drug starts killing old people, the public cries foul, and pharma pays their fine after raking in ten times more in the preceding years, and everybody moves on. But if a vaccine kills babies, no one cares because it's just coincidence. 
All these thoughts took about five seconds to run through Bob Stanley's mind before he realized Congressman Temple had asked him a question. I'm sorry, Thomas. What did you say? Tell me more about this CDC spider, Bob. I mean, if there really are over a dozen senior CDC scientists willing to come forward and confirm there's a problem at the CDC, that's a whole new ballgame. So how exactly would that go down if we decided to listen to these spider people? That's a good question, Bob Stanley hid his surprise that the congressman showed some interest. The challenge is this. The CDC is funded by the government, and its directors are appointed by the government, us. And all of the scientists and employees who work there are government employees. So they aren't there for the money. They are there for the science and the service to humanity. But as with all large altruistic organizations, there will always inevitably be some who feel like they do want to make more money. And that's where pharma comes in. Pharma gives grant money to many of these doctors so they can run research programs back at their universities. And pharma also allows some of these scientists to own stock in their companies. It's perfectly legal, but it puts objectivity at risk. Now you have doctors doing safety studies on the drugs and vaccines made by the very companies these doctors have stock in or have received funding from or are hoping to land a job with someday when they're done serving humanity. They all like to pretend their objective despite this money. I wonder if they really can be. Then there are the doctors who sit on various approval boards at the CDC and the FDA. I mean, you already know this. Congress published two reports on this very problem in 2000 and again in 2007. Health and Human Services found in 2007 that 64% of the doctors serving on the ACIP, the committee that approves vaccines, had conflicts of interest that were either not disclosed or not acted upon, meaning some of these doctors were allowed to vote in vaccine approval meetings on their own vaccines. Actually, no, I hadn't heard that. Thomas looked even more interested. But here's the problem. Who is going to enforce these rules, and who is going to bring down the hammer on this corruption? That would be us, the government, Congress. But, and I say this with all due respect to you, Thomas, because I know you have a good heart, we are bought off too. Pharma has donated so much money to most of our campaigns that to listen to people like Spider and Dr. Johnson is political suicide. The only way it could happen would be for everybody in Congress to suddenly decide they're willing to give up all their pharma money and their seats in Congress to do the right thing. But again, and I'll admit I've done this for other issues in the past, we convince ourselves that we have to stay because there's so much other good we can do. So we accept a little bit of bad so we can do a lot of good. I know, Bob. I've told myself that many times. It sometimes seems like an impossible situation with no reasonable fix, continued Congressman Stanley. And I'm not expecting you to stick your neck out with me, unless you really want to. I guess I'm just here so you know what's going on, so you know the truth, and see if you have any bright ideas, because I sure as hell am fresh out. It seems like all we would have to do is stop allowing doctors with pharma stock to participate in policy meetings and to be the heads of departments. Crack down on that. At least that would be a start.
But we already have that rule, Thomas. We just aren't making the CDC stick to it. It's like they're sticking their tongues out at us to mind our own business. Like, they know we wouldn't dare enforce the rules. And by the way, please tell me you do know that one of the former heads of the CDC allegedly held pharma stock. $4.5 billion worth, supposedly. I've never been able to confirm it's true, but please tell me you've at least heard the rumor. Thomas looked guilty. I just don't pay attention to that stuff. There's always just too much to do. But seriously? 4.5 mil? Holy Mary, I'd probably take that kind of money if it was offered to me. Who wouldn't? I wouldn't, Bob Stanley didn't say. Would I? Hey, that reminds me, Bob. I just heard the new CDC director step down. Apparently she, too, owns stock in pharmaceutical companies and even tobacco companies. A news outlet called her out on it and she resigned. How do people with such blatant conflicts of interest even get considered to head the CDC? No wonder it seems the public doesn't trust them anymore. Maybe now some of us in government will start taking our oversight role more seriously. I doubt it, Thomas. There's a new House resolution that makes me think our own House is going to be even less likely to enforce the CDC's vaccine oversight rules, not more. It's Resolution 327. It's a very pro-vaccine resolution, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it has some very concerning language that goes way too far. It states that, quotes, there is no credible evidence to show that vaccines cause life-threatening or disabling diseases in healthy children or adults. This statement completely discounts the findings of our own federal vaccine adverse events reporting system, in which we receive about 2,000 reports of life-threatening or disabling vaccine reactions every single year, not to mention the hundreds of published research studies about severe side effects. No credible evidence? Seriously? The fact that 20 congressmen have co-sponsored this resolution so far gives me no faith whatsoever that our government is ever going to fix the conflicts of interest at the CDC. Seems like an insurmountable problem, Bob. I could go on and on, but I'll just tell you one more way that Congress, us, you and I, are ignoring vaccine safety. You know the 1986 Vaccine Injury Act, right? The one in which we let pharma off the hook for any liability when someone has a severe reaction? The blank look on the congressman's face said it all. Yeah, I didn't either until I looked. Well, part of that law demands that our own Department of Health and Human Services submits a report to Congress every two years that outlines what steps HHS is taking to improve vaccine safety. Well, that sounds like a good idea. That's all it turned out to be, an idea. Because in the 30 years since then, not a single such report can be found. That Kennedy lawyer just took HHS to court to demand they release these safety update reports, of which there should be, what, 15 or so by now? And HHS came up empty, according to Kennedy. They can't find a single safety report. Think about this. Vaccines are killing and maiming a small minority of people, but are apparently helping the majority. The public demands something be done, so Congress creates the Vaccine Injury Compensation Fund, so injured people can be paid off. 
Pharma gets shielded from all liability, and HHS promises they'll look into vaccine safety and update Congress every two years. That was 30 years ago, and HHS hasn't once reported to us that they are doing anything to improve safety. What does that tell you, Thomas? That we don't care? It's probably more like we don't know. It's my belief, perhaps naively, but I hope not, that if more of us knew, we'd band together and do something. Is that too much to ask of us elected officials to actually band together to right a wrong? It shouldn't be, as long as it doesn't cost us our seats. And that's the catch, right? As I already said, you don't stand up to pharma if you want to stay in the game. But why does pharma care so much about this one issue? Don't they make enough money off selling medications? Aren't vaccines just a tiny part of all that? I thought so, but I asked a pediatrician friend to do the math for me. Here's what Monty came up with. It would cost him about $2,700 per patient if he was to buy every vaccine for that child to be given over the 18 years of his or her childhood. Some are cheap, like $20 per dose. Some are expensive, $200 or more per dose. The $2,700 is what he would actually pay to pharmaceutical companies if he was to have to buy every vaccine for a patient. He doesn't buy every vaccine, that is. He gives some, but not all. Anyway, there are about 4 million kids born each year in our country. 4 million times 2,700 is over $10 billion. That's how much pharma can make on vaccines every year, just for the kids. This doesn't include adults. If 10% of people don't vaccinate, that's a billion-dollar loss to an industry. That's not pocket change. So yes, Thomas, they care. They care big time. You've sold me, Bob, or bought me. A hearty chuckle between the two friends. Well, I've been working on a separate issue that I'd also like to run by you. It's H.R. 3615, and it calls for the National Institutes of Health to take on a large study of the long-term health of unvaccinated children and see how it compares to that of vaccinated children. This gets the ball rolling on what HHS and the CDC are failing to do. Haven't they already done that? I mean, they'd have to, right? To make sure vaccines are safe? Perceptive he is, but just as naive as most. You'd think so, but no they haven't. In my opinion, it's one of the biggest scientific oversights of this generation. We've embarked on an enormous vaccination campaign without studying long-term outcomes, and without studying a control group of kids who don't get them. I want to change that. Now that sounds like something I could get behind, but tell me, why the NIH? Why not ask the CDC to do the... Oh, wow, now I see your point. You wouldn't want the CDC to do the study. Plus, we asked them five years ago and they refused. They what? Can they do that? Yes, they can and they did. What are they afraid they'll find if they do the study? Exactly. At this point, it would be better if an entity who is completely separate from making vaccine policy did the study. That's why I picked the NIH. Yeah, I'm sure there's some conflict of interest there too, but not nearly as much. And I will personally oversee this project to make sure it's done right. And I'm looking for some co-sponsors. 
Well, Bob, send the draft over to my office, and I'll take a look. Thanks, Thomas. Resources for this chapter are available at johnphiliparyan.com.